Welcome to worship this morning. Once you stand to your feet, let's sing together and rejoice. It's great to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Let's sing. Who am I that the highest king would welcome? I was lost, but he brought me for his love. I'm Jen Wilkin, and I'd like to invite you to join me for a 10-session study, God of Covenant, which covers Genesis chapters 12 through 50. You'll find some familiar stories in these chapters, the stories of the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And you'll find that some very foundational questions are answered regarding the story of redemption in Scripture. 
If you want to be a good student of the Bible, if you want the New Testament to take on the proper depth that it should have for you, I can't think of a better recommendation for you than to spend time in this first book of the Bible. Genesis has been aptly called the seed plot of the Bible because it's where the redemptive story begins. So join me for a journey through these 39 chapters that are foundational to our understanding of what the Bible has to say. Well, good morning. Ladies, that class begins on September the 15th. There'll be two groups, uh, one meeting at 10 a.m. and one at 6.30 p.m. It's a $15 fee for the workbook. It's a 10-week study, and there'll be ladies in the foyer uh, to help you get signed up with that if you'll go by and see them on your way out. Thank you for being here today. We do want to welcome you to our services. We're glad that you've chose to come and be a part of our service today. If you are a guest, we ask you to please take one of the care cards that are located there in the pew rack in front of you and fill in your name and information. We'd like to at least send you something from our church, and thank you for being with us today and worshiping on the back of the care card. Uh, for all of us, as a place to fill in prayer requests. We ask that you take a moment to do that so we can be praying for you. And I want to do that. The staff gets those, and we want to uh, make sure we know what's going on with our, with our church family. There is one matter of business I need to take care of this morning. Last week, we did uh, have a handout for our new teacher slate for our community groups that begin next Sunday. And today, we need to vote on those. And there are a couple of changes I do need to make verbally. Uh, first of all, uh, in our children's area for Second Sunday Children's Worship, we added Pam Ford's name. And then for our babies and toddlers room, uh, in the 9 o'clock hour, we added Craig and Zan Kane. And then in the worship hour, we, we added Randy Turner. And then one new option, and I want to uh, tell you about this one briefly. Uh, we have uh, talked to some of our senior adults, uh, and we would like to start a new unit that does not meet on Sunday. We want to have a community group that meets on Mondays at 1 o'clock. Uh, folks have said to us, sometimes it's really hard to get here by 9 o'clock or to sit through an entire 9 o'clock study and then come in to worship and sit through that together is a long time. And so we have a new class. Uh, Phil Leffler has agreed to teach that class. Uh, he's a very gifted teacher. He's taken about an 11-year break, but we're glad to have Phil back. Uh, and so he's excited about it too. So that would begin on the 19th of September. It's a Monday afternoon at 1 o'clock. And so that's another class uh, that we've added to uh, the list. And so calling us uh, to order, uh, do I hear a motion that we accept coming from a committee, the nominating committee, accept these names as written? Uh, do, do I hear a motion to accept those? Motion to accept. There's a first, and then do we have a second? Second. Thank you. And all opposed, uh, like sign? I don't hear any, and so we, this will go in as our new slate of teachers. Those are located on your way out also at, at the, uh, the table over here and the desk over here. Grab one of those. If you're not involved in uh, a community group, we encourage you to do that. That's where you do life with your church family. There are people with, with the same issues you're dealing with. Uh, when you have a tragedy, they'll be there with you. When you have a success, they'll be there to celebrate with you. So uh, find one of those groups. Get plugged in. They do start uh, again with a new curriculum and all beginning next Sunday. And so pick one of those and be a part of a community group. Uh, we do have a special presentation tonight from our personnel committee. We have an official candidate for our children's director position. So tonight at 5 o'clock right here in the worship center, we'll have a time for you to meet them, hear more about them, and ask questions of the committee, of the candidate. 
and then uh, we'll ask the candidate and their family to leave and you'll have some time to, to ask some general questions after that. We won't vote tonight, but next Sunday uh, during this time slot, we will uh, vote by secret ballot. That happens next week. Ladies, don't forget we have a You Can Do It ladies event on Thursday, September the 8th. Classes involve photography, gardening, cooking, exercise, decorating. Uh, go by and get signed up for that. They will have desserts here. The cost of the event is $5. Uh, and then you've already heard the announcement about the new ladies Bible study. Uh, men, our men's uh, Snowbird uh, Be Strong weekend is on September 16th through the 18th. All of the t uh, slots we have currently are full. But if you would like to go, please still sign up on the sign-up sheet at the information desk. I will try my best uh, to get more spots for that. It is September the 16th through the 18th, and it is $150 total for that. And there's an information sheet right next to the clipboard where you can sign up. They'll give you the details about that. And I've said it before. Basically, we go praise Jesus, eat meat, and hang out with guys and, yeah, shoot guns. So that's a great weekend for guys. So anyway, come be a part of that. It's a great time, and we're always challenged by uh, the message there. Those are our announcements. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Before I pray out loud, uh, by you raising your hand, would you say, you know, I've got a prayer need, Kevin. All over the uh, congregation here, I see those hands, and guess what? God sees those hands, and he knows in your heart what that issue is. Let's go to him in prayer, and I'll ask you to pray silently for just a moment, and then I'll open us up out loud. Let's pray together. God, I know that in a room uh, this size, there are serious issues that uh, our family members are dealing with. And God, I pray that you give each one of them wisdom. Sometimes that wisdom is to sit and just wait for you, God, to do nothing. But God, if there's something that we need to do in that situation that you would show us, that you would lead us and guide us. God, we pray for each of those needs and you heard each request, God, from our hearts. We do pray for our service today. God, we know that our pastor is going to preach a message from your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak through him. That we would hear what you'd have us to hear today. Lord, if there are things that challenge us personally, that we'd be willing to change those. And we would uh, answer whatever you ask us to do to say yes to you, God. Just give us a great day to worship you. Help us to set this time aside to just focus on you, God. And, and to feel your presence and to, to worship you in this time, God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with me as we sing together. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love. Tell the 
Above the storm, we 
he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Find Mark chapter 5 in your copy of the scripture as we continue to walk through the shortest of the four gospels. I've mentioned to you in the past it's called a synoptic gospel along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. uh, The three synoptic gospels, meaning they see virtually the same thing. They're very similar Whereas John's gospel is is very different. It's not a synoptic gospel. And we're going to look this morning at the subject matter, the power of Jesus to set people free. The power of Jesus to set people free in verses 1 through 20. As you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I would ask you uh, this morning and in the days to come, if you would pray for uh, a ching and Keith Roney, a Chang's uh, mom, has passed away. And they are trying to get visas in place to go back to Kenya. And uh, she was telling me she actually has family members all over the world on different continents. And the visas are they're just praying for a smooth uh, flow of all that so that the family can come back together for a Uh, celebration of eternal life of her mom. So pray for this family. And uh, I'm going to invite you now to stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, The power of Jesus to set people free. Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that is the ten cities around the Sea of Galilee, the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Father, we thank you for the display of Jesus' power and authority that you have been showing us already through Mark's gospel. Lord, you are indeed Lord of all. There is nothing too great for you. And Lord, we marvel at your ability to change lives even out of the most desperate of circumstances. Perhaps there's somebody here today, hopeless. Maybe they're facing something that they have concluded that no one can help. Lord, help them to see today that Jesus is the answer. And even if he doesn't take a particular trial away, he will give them strength to walk through it. God, help us to see Jesus today. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, folks, today's passage exposes something to us that, truthfully speaking, we don't see much of. We don't hear much of. Not in a country like America anyway, but nonetheless, it is a very real situation. What am I speaking of? I'm speaking of demon possession. Just because we don't hear much of it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. Just listen sometime to some of the testimonies of missionaries in remote fields around the country and some of the things that they face from tribal leaders and witch doctors and so forth. And they've come to learn all too well demon possession is real. I remember a number of years ago, uh, growing up in Charlotte, of course, as you know, uh, over in Gastonia, Freddie Gage came to do a citywide crusade. Now, Freddie Gage was an American evangelist. He's gone home to be with the Lord now, but he is someone who had come out of street gangs and drug addicts and sort of the underbelly side of society. That was the environment out of which he was saved. 
And so in crusades that Freddie Gage would do across the nation, he would have local churches uh, carry out a very special effort to reach the side, the dark side of cities that many people in churches are simply not aware of. At his crusade in Gastonia, uh, they would leave the citywide crusade each night. They would meet at Parkwood Baptist Church over there on Garrison Boulevard for baptisms uh, for those who had made decisions for Christ uh, that, that evening. And one evening a young lady was standing outside the church and she wouldn't come in. When people persisted to try to get her to come into the church, she said that she couldn't. And they asked her why she couldn't. And she said, I am forbidden from entering into a church. And when people kept on with her, they started reading scripture to her, she went absolutely mad. My former boss, who was the pastor there, Ned Matthews, told me about it. Also, a woman in the church told me about witnessing it. Uh, she and her family were still shook up about it years later when I was on staff there. And she was describing that evening to me. And as she spoke about it, it would remind you of speaking to somebody that still had PTSD from it. The young woman in question began having the most blood-curdling noises come out of her along with language that would embarrass a sailor. They said the look in her eyes and her demeanor was pure evil more so than anybody had ever experienced before on any level. She took Bibles out of people's hands and tore them in pieces like they were single sheets of paper. She grabbed grown men outside the church and began throwing grown men around like they were little ping pong balls it absolutely scared people to death these were white collar well educated professionals certainly not people given to exaggeration or fanciful made up tales and again those who witnessed it were shaken up for months and even years Sometime later they saw the young woman again and the young woman had become a Christian and she gave testimony that she had indeed been demon possessed. Folks when we come to a subject matter like this I think we need to avoid two extremes. On the one hand in advanced societies like ours many people simply want to ignore it or even deny it. On the other hand some people get caught up with a fascination over it and I don't think either extreme is the proper way of looking at it and let me also say that we are not dealing here with mental illness yes there is mental illness that is very real but that is not what is being recorded here what is being recorded here is about a man who was demon possessed the Bible is very clear on recording that and what we see here today is Jesus' authority and power over evil. Now as I mentioned last week, uh, Mark is drawing a complete circle for us. He wants us to see that there is nothing outside of, 
of the area of Jesus' power and authority. Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive sin. He has the power and authority to forgive sickness. He has the power and authority to raise the dead. And he has the power and authority to drive out demons. Jesus Christ is indeed Lord of all. Just as Jesus brought calm to the storm. In that passage we looked at last week in chapter 4. Here we see him bringing calm to a man who is tormented by demons. The first thing I want you to see with me this morning is a man possessed by the devil. A man possessed by the devil. The first five verses. John 10.10 reminds us that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Folks, in the Bible we have seen Satan's activity since Genesis chapter 3 when he entered into the garden and he tempted Adam and Eve to sin. Revelation 12 tells us another sign appeared in heaven. Behold a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. John goes on later in that chapter to say now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him Peter in 1 Peter 5 tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion going to and fro on the earth seeking someone to devour. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we don't battle against just flesh and blood. He reminds the church there at Ephesus, we battle against principalities and powers in high places. And that's what's going on here. Folks, here demons have entered into a man. Now let me say I do not believe demons can possess Christians. We can be oppressed but not possessed because we are possessed, we are indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit. I don't see any biblical evidence whatsoever uh, that the Holy Spirit and evil angels could indwell the same vessel. 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I think Christians are protected from this sort of thing that we read here. But that doesn't mean that we take Satan lightly. And it doesn't mean that Christians uh, don't sometimes open their lives up to Satan. We're not given an instruction manual in the Bible on how demons enter a person. So we can only speculate. I would only suppose through some type of habitual, heinous, sinful activity on a part of an unbeliever, somehow or another they open their lives to the evil one and they can be possessed. 
Now, whatever this man thought Satan could offer him, I want you to notice the result. He was isolated. He had lost family. He had lost friends. He was not even in his right mind. He was crying out. He was cutting himself, apparently trying to destroy himself. And so there's a great deal of self-mutilation going on here, and there's bondage. And we also see that he had unnatural strength. He was uncontrollable and had no self-control of his own. And he lost all self-respect because verse 15 seems to indicate that he must have been running around the tombs naked. We're also being shown here the extent of this man's uncleanness. He is a Gentile. So he would have been considered unclean by the Jews. He lived in a Gentile region, an unclean region. He also lived among the tombs. And the Old Testament law stated that this would have rendered him unclean. Also, it's been suggested that to be in an area with so many pigs, it may be that these pigs were being raised for food for the Roman army and the Romans were viewed as unclean oppressors of the Jews. And so what is being shown here is a man who is unclean on top of being unclean, on top of being unclean. Everything about him is unclean. And we see what a miserable soul he is. Satan never delivers on what he promises. Adam and Eve learned that the hard way, right? Maybe you've learned that the hard way. Satan never delivers what he promises. Today people will listen to the enemy and they will absolutely destroy themselves sometimes and their families. I've spoken with people caught up in alcoholism, caught up in drug abuse, caught up in marital affairs. They thought they could get away with certain things and in 35 years of ministry I've had utterly broken people sit in front of me and tell me their stories and their lives have never been the same. Even respected Christian leaders are not immune. There is one preacher I could tell you about in Southern Baptist life. And this is not demeaning of him because praise God, God's using him again. And he's written about all of this himself. He's not been secret about it. The news media has not been secret about it. There's all kinds of articles been written about it. He's even written a book about it himself. I'm speaking of Dr. Joel Gregory. Chances are you've never heard of him. Uh, he was without a doubt perhaps the most gifted pastor in Baptist life of modern times. He pastored major key churches all over the country. Uh, he he uh, preached at, uh, taught preaching at Southwestern Seminary. He was on the program of conventions all over the place. He was literally flying even beyond the states all over the world preaching in conferences. To this day he's recognized as probably having preached one of the greatest sermons ever at an annual meeting in June of the Southern Baptist Convention when he preached a sermon as only about a 35 year old young man his sermon was entitled the castle and the wall some people referred to him simply by the term the voice 
He was the voice. And if you've ever heard him even one time, you know that that description fits. The famous W.A. Criswell, who pastored First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas for 50 years, once referred to Joel Gregory as probably the greatest preacher alive. If anybody ever would have said who's the most gifted preacher you know about in all of modern life today, many people would have said Dr. Joel Gregory. Baptists met in Durban, South Africa for a Baptist World Alliance. He delivered the keynote address. It was a tremendous message. But he bought into the lies of the enemy and his ministry and his family fell apart. He sought after and achieved becoming the pastor of what used to be considered the most coveted pulpit in all of America as men would measure things. But that's when his life fell apart. He pursued power. He achieved power. And his life, his marriage, and his ministry absolutely unraveled. Chances are some of you, you've seen him in the past on the Food Network. After days of ministry, he became editor for a major food magazine in America. But as far as ministry, he's begun to rise again. He's even teaching again at Baylor University in the seminary there. Described as the most prestigious university in Baptist life today. And he's, he's once again preaching all over the country again in the world. So praise God. God's using him uh, tremendously. But why do I mention him? Because here, here is somebody who is a Christian leader, a pastor. And his story is absolutely one of the most heartbreaking stories you could ever read. Satan is a liar. Folks, Satan is a liar. What he promises and what he delivers are completely opposite things. People who buy into his lies end up with lives that are in a mess. Here's a guy that his life is in a mess. Night and day he has no rest. He's crying out. He's cutting himself. People have tried to subdue him and even bind him with chains. And, and apparently they're not, they're not chained strong enough to bind this guy or shackled strong enough to keep him bound. He, he displays a supernatural strength. But he's a miserable man. His life is destroyed by demons. I want you to notice that the demons recognize Jesus. They call out to him. They identify themselves as legion. To the Romans and Jews, a legion would be 6,000 soldiers and 120 horses. So a legion would be a very powerful fighting force. And so here's a man possessed by many demons. And they don't want to be disembodied. They desire to live in an entity if that entity is nothing but pigs. And notice when they entered the pigs, the pigs destroyed themselves. Deviled ham. <laughs> no extra charge for that. I get that. I get that from Brother David Hall. Often even in modern day stories of what's 
believed to be legitimate cases of demon possession. The person will do all sorts of things to harm themselves. Now I don't want to draw too nice and neat a line here in every case. I do not suggest for a moment that every time somebody tries to harm themselves it's because they're demon possessed. Please don't hear me saying that today. But at the same time I do believe that when people want to do themselves harm somehow or another they're listening to the lies of the enemy. I'm not saying they're possessed, but I'm saying that at least the enemy has clouded and confused their minds. Of course, it may be mental illness, but it may be much more than that in many cases, like in this case we're looking at today. Folks, the Bible says that we are made in the very image of God. God has created you and me with a purpose, and the devil wants to cloud and confuse that, and he wants to make you think that you are worthless. Have you bought into the devil's lies? Second thing I want you to see with me, a man set free by the Savior. Devils had destroyed this man. But I want you to notice on his mission, Jesus approaches this region. Satan had tried to destroy Jesus on the Sea of Galilee in the previous narrative. Now with this man running out to meet Jesus, you have Satan trying to hinder Jesus from even being able to come into this region. What we have here that Jesus is doing is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 that he's doing. He's entering into the strong man's house. Who's the strong man? Satan. Jesus said in Matthew 12, he's, he's entering into the strong man's house. He's tying up the strong man. He's binding the strong man and he's plundering his house. Where most people would have avoided this area altogether. Jesus is marching right in. This is part of his mission. He's not deterred one bit from dealing with this demoniac. The demoniac man runs out to meet Jesus. But instead of open conflict, I want you to notice he falls down before Jesus in submission. Even demons recognize who Jesus is and they submit to him. He calls out to Jesus recognizing that he's the son of the most high God. Now think about that in an area where Gentiles would have believed in many gods. This man identifies Jesus as the son of the most high God. There's no one like the Lord. And what does Jesus do? He delivers this man. He sets him free. And notice what it took. All it took was the word of Jesus. That's all. He spoke. And it was done. Who can do something like this? Only God. And Jesus is God. He's the son of the living God. He is able to set the captives free. And when Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away and behold the new has come. He's now in his right mind. He's clothed. Just like the sea that Jesus calmed, Jesus has delivered this man and now he is finally calm and at rest. Imagine the relief 
the sheer relief and gratitude that he must have experienced. He was now thinking right. He's living right. He's living a sane, moral, clean life. And he's grateful for what the Lord has done. You see, folks, salvation ought to change a man or a woman from the inside out. Salvation ought to clean up a person's thinking. It ought to clean up their thinking, their their speaking, their relationships, their actions. Christ changes people. It's not just a new leaf being turned over in somebody's life. It's a new birth. It's a conversion. And I want you to see in this story too that nobody is beyond God's touch. No one. I mean, look at this guy here. Here's a guy that's in misery. Nobody could deal with him. And now he's in his right mind and he's ready to follow Jesus. Surprisingly though, the townspeople did not welcome this. It scared them. You know, the work of God scares some people, and they don't know what to make of it. Sadly, some people will see it, a work of God, and they'll try to get away from it. Some commenting on this story have even wondered at the destruction of 2,000 pigs and the financial loss that would have been to the owners. This is of no concern in this story. It points out the value that Jesus attaches to even one precious soul. One precious soul is worth any expense. Folks, after all, we're told in the Bible that the angels in heaven rejoice when one person repents and comes to Christ. This is not a time to worry about financial loss. This is a time to only celebrate the great things that the Lord has done. But these town people didn't know what to make of it. And so sadly, unbelievably, they asked Jesus to leave. This is definitely not what we would expect. They've not been able to deal with the man who lived among the tombs. I can even envision parents who probably told their children to stay far away from this guy if they had to walk by the tombs. The men in town can't deal with him. They've put chains on him. They've tried to subdue him time after time. He's broken these chains like they're nothing more more than than strings of hot wax you would think the townspeople would be absolutely beside themselves with joy over what Jesus has done for this man but they're scared they've never seen anything like what Christ did and all Jesus had to do was speak the word give the commands for the demons to come out and they left the man you you would think the townspeople would hold a celebration and give Jesus the key to their city and, and put this day on their calendar as a freedom day but instead they ask him to leave God has worked and they're uncomfortable they've never seen anything like this They can't deal with it. They don't know what to do. And I want you to notice something. Jesus did not stay where he was not welcome. And let that be a lesson to everybody. If you don't want Jesus, he'll go. It's dangerous to turn away from the Lord. The day will come when you will bow and confess, but then it might be too late. 
Jesus is a perfect gentleman. While the devil is a thief, a liar, a robber, Jesus isn't going to force himself or uh, he's not going to force his way upon you. God is sovereign. And yet at the same time, there's a certain freedom he's allowed us. And men for 2,000 years have been trying to debate this overlap between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And the issue is still not settled. But here we see Jesus respecting them as they basically tell him, get out of here. We don't want you around here. But folks, what I really want you to see, the third thing, a man commissioned by the Lord. Look at verse uh, 14 and following. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country and people came to see what what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, saw the demon-possessed man, the one... uh, who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, they were afraid. And and those who had seen it described to them, uh, verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region as he was getting into the boat. Notice this, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Here they're begging him to leave, and this man's begging Jesus, let me go with you. And verse 19 says, He did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This man doesn't want Jesus to get lost. He wants to go with Jesus. Think how opposite he is from the townspeople. His life, he, here's a man, he knows what it's like to be deceived and destroyed by the devil. He knows what it's like to be set free by Jesus. He wants to stick around Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, this man wants to be. You know, saved people want to be around Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, saved people want to be there. They want to be where God's working. That's why saved people ought to want to be in a church fellowship. Saved people ought to want to be a part of God's mission, what he's doing. Again, strangely, Jesus wouldn't allow the man to follow him. Let's think about that a minute. Why in the world would Jesus not let him follow him? There's a couple of things at stake. First, remember Jesus' main mission at this point is to the house of Israel. If a Gentile joins Jesus' band of disciples at this point, going mainly to Jews, it it would have threatened the whole entire mission of Jesus. Now, Jesus would later commission his disciples and the church in the book of Acts to start going out to the Gentiles. Because God's desire is that people of every tribe, tongue, and nation come to him. We read in the book of Revelation one day that people from literally every tribe, tongue, and nation will be around the throne, the redeemed of the Lord, and they're singing praises to God. That's God's desire. God's desire is not that we would have an attitude, us four and no more. God's desire is that we would go to the nations that people would know him. But again, at this point, his mission is first of all to the Jew, to the house of Israel. And he's not going to allow that mission uh, to be threatened in any way. But secondly, I think it may be that Jesus recognizes that the townspeople need a witness. They didn't want Jesus. 
But Jesus wanted the once-possessed man to stick around and simply share with him what the Lord has done for him. Folks, think about that. He doesn't want this area that is rejecting him to be without a witness. Isn't that grace? What might you and I want to do? Huh, phooey, I'm done with y'all. And walk away, right? But Jesus does not even want those who have rejected him to be without a witness. Jesus wants one of them who's been changed to stay there and be a testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know, in mission work today, mission organizations still do that. Yes, they'll send somebody into remote areas of the world, but the goal is they reach nationals, they train them up to lead that church, and they turn that church over to those people in that area. It's referred to as indigenous missions. Somebody like that culture who's saved and raised up and established as a leader. That's the goal today. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And so he commissions this man to stay. And by the way, this is the first time in Mark's gospel that a commission is given to anybody. And it's a commission to a Gentile to reach Gentiles. That's a foreshadowing, again, of the gospel going beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And as you think about this man, I want you to think about the power of a testimony. To be a witness, what do you need to do? All you have to do to be a witness is tell people the great things God's done for you. You know, some people in the church say, I can't teach. I can't preach. I can't sing. I'm not good with finances. I'm not good with personnel issues. I'm not good. They'll tell you what they're not good at. They know they're saved. They've got a testimony. And you know what? God can use that. That is one thing every saved child of God has. He or she has a testimony of how God has redeemed them and set them free. Everybody can do that. Folks, let's not overcomplicate that. Every believer has a testimony. It may not be as dramatic as this guy's. In fact, I'm quite sure nobody in here this morning probably has a testimony as as dramatic as this guy. Not everybody has a testimony like the Apostle Paul that you were knocked off a horse at noonday on the road to Damascus and God saved you. But you know what you read in the New Testament? Somebody, a lady, a business lady like Lydia. Paul is sharing the gospel down by the riverside in in Philippi. She's a business lady in the area. And the Lord said that, uh, the, the Bible says the Lord just sort of quietly opened her heart to believe. Quiet conversion. No lightning bolts. No bells going off. But was Lydia just as saved as the Apostle Paul or this man here? Absolutely. Everybody's got a testimony of how God has saved them. And folks, God can use that. 
Don't ever forget that. God can use your testimony as you sit down with a co-worker at lunch whose life is a mess and you're sharing with that co-worker what God's done in your life or a student at school sharing with a friend who's going through something terrible. Maybe they're heartbroken. Maybe that student, their family's falling apart and a Christian student can come alongside of that student and encourage them and be a witness to them. Everybody can use their testimony. You know what a witness has been described as? A witness or, or evangelism rather has been defined as one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. In fact, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. I want to show you something because this is, the, this is what the Apostle John is saying to the church there in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 1, John writes, That which was from the beginning, and I want you to underscore these phrases, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now remember who John's writing to. John's writing to a church where there's a false group of heretics attacking the church. Gnostics who tried to say Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. You know, at best, Jesus might just be a phantom or a ghost. So what's John writing to the church saying? That which we have heard, which we've seen, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy might be made complete. Here's John the Apostle telling the church what we as the Apostles he's saying are sharing with you is only that which we've heard with our ears, seen with our eyes and, and we've touched. We've, we've touched Jesus. We've been with him for three years in his ministry among us. He was real. The power of a testimony. You look back at verse 20 and Mark 5 of our text says, He went away, he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And notice what it says, everyone marveled. Everyone. Folks, they knew this guy. Some of the men in that town, no doubt, were the men who had tried to put chains on him. They knew what he was like. They saw what he was like now. And everybody marvels. You can't argue with a changed life. You take a man who proclaims with his lips only that he is a Christian but he continues to live as vile a life as ever nobody's going to believe him but you take a man who might have been known as vile and he gets saved and he's filled with joy and peace and the fruit of the spirit and everybody looks at what God's done in his life and, the, and they marvel one of the assurances we have of salvation is a changed life 
Folks, we make a big deal of those who leave home and go far away into ministry, and we should. We need to celebrate that, especially when somebody's leaving home and going into a faraway area where maybe there's not a witness. But let's not forget, we also need to celebrate when a businessman or a businesswoman in the church goes to work, starts praying for their co-workers over months, begins to see God working in those co-workers, and many of them start coming to Christ, or when a student does that in school right here in our own town, that's worth celebrating too. Don't be guilty of praying and praying for God to send you somewhere else so he can use you while you are ignoring and neglecting where he has you right now. Don't miss the trees for the forest. How tragic. Some lessons I want to leave you with. Lesson number one, Satan ruins people's lives. He promises the moon. He can't even give you the cheese. Don't ever listen to his lies. Jesus said that any time the devil speaks, he's lying. He's a liar. That's his nature. He's speaking out of his nature. That's his character. Don't listen to his lies. Second takeaway. People's lives who have been ruined by Satan, they often end up miserable, lonely, isolated, and wanting to eventually bring harm to themselves. When we see people like this, let's remember it's Satan that's messed them up. We need to pray for them and we need to witness to them. A third lesson, Jesus can save and deliver anybody out of anything. Don't ever think that somebody is beyond God's touch. I think if we were alive at this time and we were looking at people that Jesus was calling and dealing with and ministering to, if there's anybody we would have said beyond hope, we would have said this guy in Mark chapter 5 is beyond hope. Nobody can help him. Well, Jesus helped him. Nobody is beyond God's touch. Fourth lesson, don't assume everybody welcomes the work of God. Amazingly, even though they knew this man and could do nothing to control him among the tombs, they're uncomfortable now with what Jesus has done. They should have rejoiced, but instead they rejected the Savior. And as a result, a demon-possessed man was delivered while well-to-do business people like these pig herders, they missed the Savior altogether. People who should have seen the Savior missed him. While a guy that you think would have missed him sees him and comes to Jesus. Last lesson. Be quick, be quick to share your story. Even if you feel like you have very little to offer. Folks, I want you to remember you have a testimony. You have a testimony. Can I ask you to write down somewhere, begin praying for somebody for you to share your testimony with. You've got a mission field. We've all got a mission field. Share your testimony. You say, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't know if I can sit down and share all the right verses. Well, hopefully in time you'll, you'll learn those verses, but don't let that stop you. You've got a testimony. 
pray that God would help you share your testimony of how God saved you and how God could use something as simple as your testimony to reach other people for Christ. Would you do that please? And I look forward to hearing what some of you are going to tell me about that. You know why? Because God uses testimonies. Father, we thank you for these verses. We see the power of the Lord that nothing is too difficult for Christ. God, we see a man here, his life is messed up. We're not told how he got in this condition. We're not told what had happened, what his circumstances were, when he became possessed, how. We're not told any of that. When we meet him on the pages of scripture here, he's already in this condition. He's in a mess. But God, we see your power break through. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus marched right into that area. And just by the spoken word, cast the legion of demons out. And set a man free. Lord, that ought to give anybody hope. However downtrodden, whatever somebody here might be thinking, they've done what they've gone through, what they've experienced, this right here ought to say to them what Christ can do in their lives too. God, I pray that they would come to you. I pray that they'd come to you. Believe upon you before it's too late. And they'll learn by experience what you can do. And God help us as those who know Christ to not diminish our testimony in being able to be used to reach others. Empower us to be your witnesses. You've given your Holy Spirit for the purpose of empowering us. May may we be filled with your Spirit. And may we speak about the great things you've done in our lives. So that other people also can know. It's in Christ's name that we pray.